The December WASD proves to be a relatively quiet affair, but with a few key updates, what factors will drive markets in the coming months? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The December WASD dropped Friday, December 9th, largely meeting market and analyst expectations with a few key updates around demand and global crop levels. And yet, as 2022 draws to a close, a few important riddles remain in the market leaving many scratching their heads about what USDA and traders might be missing. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to dig into the relevant changes in corn export and ethanol demand pictures, as well as to walk us through the inexplicable current state of the global wheat market. We'll dive into farmer outlooks on this year's harvest, unpack how EPA's recent announcements on the renewable fuel standards are and aren't affecting soybean crush expectations, and check in on the record high basis figures that are lingering across the country. Then we'll look ahead to the January WASD, potential market moving news in 2023, and the hot and dry conditions in Argentina, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next farm bill and the farm bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the agriculture department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can maximize or at least find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the December world supply and demand estimates. Todd, start us out with a little bit of kind of the expectations. Usually the December report is pretty quiet, but what were people maybe expecting to see going into this December report? Uh, You're right, Sarah. We've seen lots of December reports where the estimates will just stay the same for the most part. And that's somewhat what happened today, except there was an expectation 
and a concern about corn demand and what USDA would say about that. And I think even a month ago, a lot of us were expecting the, the export estimate for corn to come lower, and USDA did not move on it a month ago, but they did change that this week. The other expectation was what would they do with the ethanol demand? The ethanol production rate has been running slightly higher than a year ago, so in theory, they shouldn't probably touch it yet at all. However, we have seen ethanol prices take quite a big drop the past five weeks or so. So that's a concern about demand moving forward. We'll dig into ethanol a little bit additionally, but give us kind of the readout top line. Did USDA meet expectations and how did the market react? I think overall they did. USDA cut the export estimate by 75 million bushels. That's the only change they made to today's U.S. balance sheet. The new ending stocks estimate is 1.26 billion bushel. That was very close to expectations and I don't think was a shock to anybody. We know corn exports have really been struggling early this year. I wonder if you can unpack for us a bit why that export figure is down. I think we've talked quite a bit about China this year and always, but talk a little bit about why that export figures may be dragging and those demand figures are down a bit. Sure. Of course, everybody knows Ukraine's in the midst of war, so we didn't expect a lot of competition from Ukraine this season. But if you go back to this summer, Brazil's second corn crop did really well this summer, and they ended up with record production for the year. So right now, Brazil has a pretty good amount of corn supply still available. Their prices are roughly 8% cheaper than ours on a FOB comparison basis. So Brazil's getting the export early in the new season. We're waiting our turn. It'll probably be a month or two before that balances out. But then U.S. corn export sales should pick up for the rest of the season, do much better once we get Brazil supplies out of the way. But it has given us a very slow start. And of course, everybody knows there's low water levels on the Mississippi River, and certainly that doesn't help to have barge traffic restricted. And at this time of year, they give priority to soybean shipments, and soybean shipments have actually been doing quite well, given the problems. But corn's kind of still waiting its turn, and we'll probably start to see more active shipments in January and February. I'm wondering, too, we talked with Brian Milne, our fuels expert, about the domestic state of China right now. And I'm wondering if you think that has any bearing on the demand picture. A lot of concerns about the way that COVID or that China is handling its zero COVID policy. Are you seeing that as a factor in the global demand picture at the moment? Where it really has influence, Sarah, is in the speculative side of the market. It's influenced their opinion of corn and soybeans quite a bit, but we haven't actually seen it in the demand estimates. And I'll say largely for soybeans, because that's where we really expect China to come through. But we have seen very quiet activity in regard to U.S. corn so far this year. But it's hard to blame it on COVID when we know that China's buying corn from Brazil. And like I mentioned, Brazil has the corn to supply them right now. So I can't say I've seen tangible evidence of any of China's headline problems, including COVID, really affecting grain demand yet. I wanted to touch back on ethanol as part of that demand picture. We saw some EPA movement since the November WASD on renewable fuels, but it seems like the ethanol trend is a little bit more long-term. What are we seeing in terms of, is that slowdown just a result of the high corn prices all year, or driving being down as winter is generally like the lower driving season? What are you seeing as the factors involved in that kind of slowing ethanol demand? 
Yeah, I, there's a couple things going on. One is we had kind of a slump in ethanol demand from roughly August to October. And I think a lot of that was we were starting to get some fairly tight corn supplies in the Western Corn Belt. And especially as drought was affecting the new crop, I, a lot of ethanol plants, I think, had difficulty getting the corn they needed in those tougher areas. And of course, the corn was getting more expensive for them, so it was not working very well on the profit margin side of the business. Then late October, we saw a nice rebound in that ethanol demand, and the ethanol price went up. And I thought maybe we were back on our way to normalizing things. But since early November, we've seen a sharp drop in the ethanol price and along with that, over about the past month and a half, we've seen lower gasoline demand. There's several factors going on here, but I think the slower ethanol demand is tied to kind of a slowdown in gasoline demand and just overall a bit of slower economic activity here in the U.S. And I'm curious, before we move on, talk a little bit more about soybeans and wheat, I'm also curious how you are following the Latin American weather picture. I know that there's been some drought concerns in Argentina and some changing condition in the global South. So do you expect that the like price advantage might be shifting over the next couple of months? Or do you think that we're seeing the trend that'll play out until the end of the Latin American season? It, I, it's going to be kind of a tricky scenario to keep track of, to be honest, Sarah, because on one hand, we have this hot and dry scenario in Argentina, and they're starting off with a very low crop ratings and a slow planting pace. They're having difficulty getting the crop started. On the other hand, we've got Brazil in its rainy season, and they've been getting the consistent rains for the most part. Southern Brazil might have some drier forecasts ahead as we get further into December here, but for the most part, early crop conditions have been very good in Brazil. So the contrast is here that we've got this huge record crop. USDA estimates almost 5.6 billion bushels of soybeans on the way from Brazil if weather stays cooperative, while at the same time, La Nina is hitting Argentina and really making those crops struggle with drought. What we saw coming out this week is we saw a real big surge in the soybean meal price. And you have to remember that all nations don't crush their own soybeans. And when it comes to Argentina, they are the light, largest provider of exports of soybean meal and bean oil. It could be a situation here where because of Argentina's weather, if that drought situation continues, as it looks like it is so far, there's going to be a tougher time for buyers to obtain soy products. And of course, that ran up our soybean meal price here in the U.S. this week as well. At the same time, it's quite possible we get to February and have this record crop come raining down from Brazil. <laughs> so I think the soybean price itself is going to be caught a little bit in the middle. But right now, traders being traders are more concerned with the immediate moment and the immediate moment goes to Argentina. Speaking of the crush situation, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the soybean picture here. Not a lot of adjustments in this report, but I wonder, I, again, we got some updates from EPA on the renewable fuels that had, I think, maybe created some speculation around what the biodiesel picture looked like for soybeans going into the next year. Are you shifting your expectations at all around soybean demand as the season continues? I'm really not. And I'll try to explain best as I can. The renewable fuel standard, as you mentioned, some people were disappointed with the numbers that came out last week in regards to biodiesel. 
But I'd like to remind everybody that this newfound use of soybean oil to make renewable diesel really is not motivated or given incentive from the RFS numbers to date. The renewable diesel program is really based on the low carbon fuel standards that come from the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, and seven more states considering adopting similar standards. To me, it was a bit of a paper tiger this week to see, or last week to see bean oil sell off so sharply on the renewable fuel standard talk. At the same time this is going on, we have to also acknowledge that in the larger ed energy market, there's been a big bearish influence about concerns of slowing world economies. And this comes back to China again, as well as other world economies. And so we've seen crude oil prices get hit. We also saw a big drawdown in crude oil in the most recent report from the Energy Department. But the cause of that drawdown was that we had a big boost in refiners chucking out gasoline supplies and the low sulfur distillates, which are used for making diesel. So there's a real push on for refiners right now to get those diesel supplies up. They're still down about 7% from a year ago. We still need more diesel, and we're still going to need more soybean oil to stretch those diesel supplies. So I'm still quite bullish on the energy sector overall and the support that it should lend to our biofuels markets. Speaking of outlook, too, I think you actually went to, were you at the Peoria Farm Show last week? Yeah, I sure was. It was a good time. I'd love to hear in the absence of big adjustments from USDA or clarity there, hearing kind of the boots on the ground, what farmers are thinking about the crop now that it's out of the field and they're meeting and talking. Did that shape kind of your outlook as you look to the next couple months going into 2023? Yes, consistently from nearly everybody that attended and came up and talked and said hi, there was a lot of smiles in the room. These farmers have seen some of their best corn and soybean yields that they've seen in their lifetime. And one in particular came from a 75-year-old farm. He said, best corn and soybean yields ever that I've ever seen. So <laughs> that made me scratch my head a little bit about, are we going to see some higher revisions when we get to the January numbers? And that's quite possible. I'll give that. But at the same time, I'm trying to correlate that with the strong basis levels that we're seeing. Corn and soybean basis for this time of year even corn, with all the demand problems that it's had at the start of the year, both of those are showing their strongest basis in over 20 years. That's a bit of a riddle to me. <laughs> and I, I can't argue with good demand on soybeans. That's That part's easy to see. But uh, there seems to be some commercial hope or anticipation for corn as well. I feel like there's a number of riddles out there at the moment, <laughs> a number of Things that aren't quite lining up as you'd expect them this time of year. Speaking of which, I wonder if we could touch on the kind of global wheat picture and the minor adjustments USDA made. Given where we are in the season, how are you thinking about wheat and these numbers from USDA? Well, Sarah, somebody's going to have to put me out of my misery pretty soon because <laughs> this is just getting really difficult to explain. You can back up and take a look at a wheat chart that shows the past few years. And you'll see the big volatility that erupted after the war in Ukraine broke out. But now our prices in all three wheats have basically come back to or near levels they were at before Russia invaded. And considering that our U.S. wheat supplies are the lowest in 15 years, our global supplies of wheat, excluding China, 
are being estimated at the lowest levels in 15 years. It really makes me scratch my head as to this happening, but this is not the first time markets have any, made anyone scratch their head because they don't always make sense short term. I get that. I've, I've seen a lifetime of these examples, and I'm sure we're probably going through it again, but I keep waiting for the day for end user buying to show up because prices have gotten so relatively and fundamentally cheap given the situation we're in that I just think it's a matter of time before it's going to be more difficult and end users are going to have to bid up to get that wheat this winter, but maybe it doesn't start till after the holiday. I want to circle back to, you mentioned the barge restrictions on the Mississippi. You mentioned the effects that's having on movement of corn. Does your outlook include any in increasing impacts of that over time? Or do you think we've reached a new equilibrium for the time being that will probably keep movement at a steady pace, even if it's a little bit below where it would normally be? Yeah, I will say we are getting a little encouragement this week because the seven-day forecast has a big widespread coverage of rain and snow mix for the central and southern plains early next week. And it's not only going to cover the lower Mississippi River area, but it's going to cover a lot of the rivers that feed into that. So also in the Ohio River Valley and the Ohio Rivers and that area as well. So that's encouraging. We're going to need more weekly forecasts like that, perhaps to get us through until spring. But to see one coming now certainly is encouraging. I think it's also, I've said before, and I'll keep saying hats off to the guys managing the river and the barge traffic, because given the tough circumstances, I think they've done a fantastic job. We've actually got soybean movement going down the river at a pretty good pace. We're down 10% from a year ago on overall shipments, but they've kept that traffic moving in spite of all the obstacles. So far, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to keep moving grain. And as I say, I think corn will get its turn in early 2023. You mentioned the possibility that the USDA might refine some figures in the January report. I'm curious, as you look to the January report, the last kind of chance for USDA to clean up the 2022 numbers, what are some things that you might expect in that report at this point? And I'm curious whether there's anything out there, any wild cards still left on the table that might shift your perspective on how 2022 might wrap up? Yeah, Good questions. The real big kind of the snake swallowing the rabbit and where we really got out of sorts on those estimates and it's taken a while to iron out really started in 2019 when we had that real wet year and it was real difficult for USDA to make sense with their planning estimates and the production estimates seem way off. And I think it was proved out later that farmers were closer to the truth than USDA was, which is not always surprising, but that whole problem that began in 2019, I think finally has worked through the system. I don't see or am recognizing at this point any big distortions that I'm aware of. But having said that, you know, th there's still that riddle that I mentioned to you of this a very strong national corn and soybean basis. So you always have to wonder in the back of your mind if there's some kind of bullish surprise that's going to be accounted for there one of these days. But nothing obvious I can point to. We've talked over the last several months a ton about the economy and the potential of a global slowdown or a global downturn. The DTN Ag Summit is next week. You'll be giving your very famous outlook. What are you tracking in terms of maybe the bigger trends that you think will be particularly relevant in 2023? I think we're seeing a lot of the divergence between 
media headlines and actual prices in the market is getting wider and wider. And to give you some examples of that, this if you look at a chart of the S&P 500 or even the Shanghai Composite Index, those markets have come up quite a bit off of their lows. They're showing a pretty big rebound. And that's in the face of we have another rate hike expected next week, December 14th. We'll probably get a half percent rate hike from the Fed, which is pretty widely anticipated and understood. At the same time, we're seeing the market's assessment of interest rate yields on 10-year T-notes come to its lowest levels, I think, in about three months. We're seeing the dollar has backed off from its highs. It seems to me that the private view of inflation expectations has really moderated even more so than the Fed is talking at this point. And I understand it's probably a good idea for the Fed to be more vigilant than everybody else. That's not such a bad thing, and that's not necessarily bad policy. But when it comes to market opinions, I think we're seeing a private view that the inflation expectation problem is not as scary at this point. We've also seen energy prices come down remarkably this year to much lower levels than I expected they would get to, and that ought to ease things. We're going to have a couple inflation reports, I think, coming up here pretty soon. There are changes taking place. I don't think the big picture economic outlook looks as scary as it did earlier this summer. And there does seem to be room for the market to calm down. If Russia somewhat behaves itself or doesn't erupt into an even worse situation. So in terms of other factors that you'll be watching closely for 2023, is it more eyes on weather? Is it all like global geopolitics, like Russia and Ukraine, China, other factors that you think might be out there making waves in the markets? Yeah. And of course, the weather is always the big question mark. And th there is a possibility that we could return to larger crops and better weather conditions here in 2023. And that's going to be a thing to watch very closely. They're talking about La Nina finally disappearing now or turning back to neutral at least, which would allow better weather pattern for the broader Corn Belt this summer. And uh, so it's quite possible that as far as growing conditions are going to go, we're going to see better widespread growing conditions in 2023. But uh, again, a between weather and Russia, two things that are very difficult to predict <laughs> very far out, that's going to be plenty to worry about. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. 
These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.